Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Check this out, y'all. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Read a Book Podcast. I'm yeah, your host, yeah. uh, Sean Little, and yeah, my yeah. ad lib, uh, what's that called when like a rapper has a like a guy? Hype man. Yeah, my, my hype man in the background yeah, is my co-host yeah. uh, for the current book that we're reading, The Big Payback, uh, Jacob Caswan Snyder. What's good, sir? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I remember grandma allowances and syrup sandwiches. I never had syrup sandwiches. Me neither. I got to keep a triller. Actually, my grandmother did used to make us like you might have had this piece of white bread, mm-hmm. butter, yeah, cinnamon, sugar. Put it in the microwave. Roll that joint up. Never in the microwave. I, really? We I used to take biscuits and put cinnamon and sugar on them. Yeah. Throw the mugs in the oven. Yeah. I eat like a can of biscuits a day. Wow. I was just talking about that. Crime allowances and syrup sandwiches. We were talking K dot before the entrance of this podcast, and that's why we're catching you up now. We were wondering if we're hood enough, uh, or it looks like not. If we've me never no had <laughs> me no have, uh, we never had syrup sandwiches. Uh, but again, thank you for rocking with us. Um, it's been a tricky couple of weeks, uh, and I somewhat dropped the ball. The snowball. We got a. Uh, you got a snowball microphone. We <laughs> I do have a snowball microphone. We you know. Uh, I was having some technical difficulties, and uh, I will say, you know, Jacob got sick one of those weeks, and then last week I had more technical difficulties, but here we are, we're on and popping, Mondays, 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 as we proceed to read The Big Payback by Dan Charnas. So here it is, we'll get started on uh, album one. And again, album one is entitled Number Runners, Hip-Hop's Earliest Entrepreneurs, uh, from 1968 to 1981. Caswell, what year were you born? 83. Yeah, I was born in 84, so this even predates us. Uh, But I'm sure there's some of y'all old heads out there who may remember some of this stuff firsthand. This every I just want to say that like every time I read how hip-hop starts, Mm -hmm. I find out something new, and it just makes it more special yeah. to me you yeah know? and i feel like especially for guys you know like us who kind of grew up in the era that we did i mean there was just so, and not that there's not culture now but like there's so much established now uh that that it feels like some of the magic is gone you know yeah. so looking back over this reading back over this uh does feel like you know a very special creative imaginative entrepreneurial time that's just like inspiring man just reading about how these people with like chart topping number one hits are only making five hundred dollars a show super crazy 
which we can adjust to inflation, but it it still is pales in the comparison to what yeah they should be making. Yeah. So let's get started with side A uh, uptown, and then we'll move into side B as we conclude this episode and talk about downtown. But uh, early on, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me was just how, and I think I sensed this, man. I drove into New York City probably five years ago, and I heard Funk Flex. It was like a Friday night. Aaron yeah, and I were yeah. driving into town, and Flex was just like doing it. And I never heard like a DJ live on the radio like that. Yeah, that's and I was just caught up, know. man. Like in the Midwest, we don't have like yes. a hip-hop DJ yeah. that it's ever... Uh, that we get on a regular radio station. Yeah. So that's a big deal, too. So even early on, you know, they start talking about... Uh, Dan Charnas talks about the 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 radio DJ, the personality, um, and the development of jazz music into sort of rock and roll music, and just the staple of, um, of the local DJ, and how important and prominent of a figure that person is. And I just feel like that's something that I can't hardly relate to, because um, it just feels like from an era that has gone by. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To think that that one voice would have that much power or that much influence is just kind of amazing to me. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. We. I feel, I don't know, does that still exist? That's a good question, man. I mean, I'm sure, you know. I, I think it's more with like vlogs and, uh, huh. and um, podcasts. Yeah. And, and like tastemakers or taste people who are kind of now. leading and directing the culture. I don't know if people really listen to the radio anymore. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, they make their own radio stations online, right? But it's an ever evolving, which landscape. is also very you know entrepreneurial. But it is kind of fascinating just to get some of the history uh, on this. And I do think that it's worth noting that the you know terminology even early on, after talking about uh, number running and hustlers, uh, the skill set of being able to rap, being able oh, yeah. to talk fast, talk slick, talk, talk convincingly. Smooth. Yeah, yeah, and how that you know, I mean, in the in the circumstances that Charnis is discussing, that can get you out of trouble. Yeah, right. Like yeah. if you come up short with money, or if you can put up for one of your homeboys that's in a situation uh, that was almost like a, and I haven't thought about this before talking about it, but like a, a defensive mechanism to be mm-hmm. able to get yourself out of situations. It's wild that that's another part of the serendipity of hip hop. It's just like built from hustle and smooth talking. Yeah. For sure. and, and parties and, and making parties hype. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, there at page 10, uh, there's a fascinating statement about halfway down the page. For African Americans, the slang word rap was the measure of the way a person talked. To talk was merely to converse. To rap was to get a particular point across with style. Perhaps make someone smile or laugh or get a rise out of them. So even before rappers starting started sort of professionally quote rapping, talking over beats, which even that was a development because there were DJs that were trying to get shine so they would step out over the breaks. Uh, within a within the culture that hip hop came from, the skill set of being able to rap, talk fast, talk smooth, yeah. talk convincingly. This is something that still hasn't changed. It also says uh, the ability to talk shit had always been prime currency in black communities. Yeah. It's still the very, very same. Sure. You remember, like, getting roasted? Dog. 
and it's like whoever was the best roaster yeah. at school. Yeah. It's like the the, the man, dude. Yeah. It was yeah. Like the, the man. Yeah. And that you know, quick disclaimer: Jacob Cass one and I Sean Little are both white. Uh, so you know we're somewhat arm's length to this, uh, but by the time you know the mid '80s came around when we were born, in the early '90s when we were kind of coming up, so much of this uh, cultural expansion of African American and Latin American culture that created hip hop, it was like pop culture. I mean, yeah, it, it was, was like mainstream. Yeah, it was so it was like easy for you know. I'll never say that I was I was baptized in this world, but I was definitely at, at arm's length from it. Yeah. So I, I did understand black communities and I, and I did implant my self in black communities yeah. because I was interested by right. it. Um, what interested you about black communities, African-American communities? That's something that we could probably chop up. I just that like everybody always kind of spoke their mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everybody had a voice. It seemed like in their communities and, um, you know, it, it it was just fun. It was never a, uh, it was it was never like a depressing time. Yeah, it was always like very active and everybody just for real talking shit. Yeah, and that and I'm I'm a very sarcastic person. Uh huh. So that's kind of like where I I put my blade or yeah. sharpen my blade. Sure, in sure, that, sure. In that kind of community. Yeah. So I remember looking back, and I want to talk about what you're talking about, but I remember looking. And maybe it's in this book, maybe it's in another book that I've read, I'm not sure. But uh, talking shit, rapping, talking fast, talking slick, uh, the original terminology on that, or one of the early pieces of terminology on that, is called playing the dozens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The guys would be on the corner and styling on each other, laughing at each other, whatever. So that even very much predates uh, this language. And I think there are a couple things, you know, this is like going to be a counseling session. But for me, I think a couple of things have always appealed about African-American culture and certainly uh, hip-hop culture, which is some of what you're saying, like the fun or the magic, the creativity that was there, right? So like growing up in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, playing basketball, like how you would just make up your own rules. Having nothing and then like making something out of it. Yes, man. We lived at an apartment in Cincinnati at Savannah and Catalpa, and I remember cutting the bottom of a milk crate Mm -hmm. and putting it up on the side of my building, and that was like, that's where we played ball. You know what I'm saying? And like you couldn't tell us that that wasn't a, an NBA stadium, right, you know right. what I'm saying? Like it's that that I feel like a lot of this culture is is built from having nothing, mm-hmm. making fun out of having nothing. Yeah, Using fun business, yeah, making magic yeah. out of it. You know what I'm saying? And to me, I think that's something I've always admired, and even still, maybe now more than ever about African American culture specifically, because of the history of America. It's like. Give, being given nothing mm-hmm. and making something out of it, not only to provide for your needs, make a little bit of cash, but to be able to like make those things, whether it's uh, grits or collard yours. greens or hip hop, yours and making it like desirable by the mainstream culture. Absolutely, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like what what that subgroup of people were given was like. It was throwaway. It was garbage. Yeah. It was nothing. And then that's what this was built. The the book highlights on that where they're like, you know, these Jewish kids are going in record stores buying these. They they weren't listening to white music. They were yeah, listening yeah. to black music. Huh. And that's when once they started seeing like the market and the value in that, that's when these 
record stores start bringing that in or yeah. playing that on the radio. Yeah. And this, there's two comments here, one from uh, page 10, one from uh, page 11. Many white kids who had never met a person of color in their lives found their way to these stations with a simple twist of the dial. So the, 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 the racial gap being mm-hmm. bridged by radio. music. Yeah. Um, and then there on page 11, this is how radio DJs black and white sparked the cultural desegregation of young America. The rhythm and blues slash rock and roll revolution uh, from date soundtrack to the civil rights era, and many of the white children who grew up loving black music in the 50s became supporters of the black liberation movement in the 60s. Yeah. So, so just to think on, about yeah, the, the power and the influence of music. Yeah. Something that like parents would just be like, oh, turn that crap off. And they wouldn't understand the implications of how influential that music, music is, would yeah. be. Which that's real. I mean, because once you once you start seeing, I feel like any kind of like racism or anything like that goes back to ignorance of not knowing anything about the person that you hate. So, like when they when they had this music that that bridged that gap, it gave them something to to be interested in. Yeah, it gave them a voice in communities that they hadn't been able to reach before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. That being like instrumental in the in the civil rights movement is yeah. wild, super fascinating, so dope. But you think about that, like the any of the, I mean, just what I've read and the imagery that I've seen, like when you have people groups that are, I would say, intentionally separated, mm-hmm. segregated. That society is built in a way to keep one people group over here and another people group over here. How do you ever create an environment where they can get to know one another where right. they can have good experiences with one another where you know the the white people group who are in power can see the magic and the beauty and the humanity and the art of the oppressed people group and be inspired by it you know right. what i'm saying like otherwise would that i mean what would have happened you yeah. know what i'm saying Out, outside of that that's super fascinating to me um this also, you know, not only making something out of nothing, but making something uh, profitable. And again, uh, you know, this is about the history of the business of hip hop. Uh, but there at the bottom of page 11, talking about the early um, black music, black artist labels relegated to race, race music by a white company. So many of the labels were owned by entrepreneurs whose ethnicity put them outside of the American capitalist mainstream. Race and class blinded corporate America to the opportunities with the new music, black music. Uh, and Motown was, I thought this was super fascinating. Motown was, until it was sold in the 80s, the largest black owned business in America. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. Music. Motown, I mean. When I think about labels, you know, like if I could only listen to music from one label for the rest of my life, Motown was always on my list. Yeah. What about Just that amazing channel? soul music. I mean, for sure. Yeah. But you think about, you know, this would be interesting. If you had to pick between Motown or Def Jam for the rest of your life, right. you no. know what I'm saying? Would I listen to like rap music for the rest of my life or would I listen to soul music for the rest of my life? Mm. And who knows? Yeah, you would pick Def Jam. Really? I would. For the rest of your life? Man. You're going to get old, bro. Yeah. I'm not knocking the raps. Rap doesn't... I mean, 
uh, Motown is good. I I can appreciate it. Yeah, and I I like it. Sure. But as far as like resonating resonating yeah. with me, yeah. man, it's Def Jam. Easy. Sixty years old, listening to Def Jam. Dude, we're gonna be listening to rap music when we're sixty years yeah, old. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. That's yeah, interesting. Man. The largest black owned business uh, in America. What is? I wonder what the largest black owned business is now. Well, let's Google that. So here's a few. This is a couple of years ago, so I'm not sure you know how accurate this is now. A few of the most uh, profitable black-owned businesses as of the past couple of years, Worldwide Technology, Inc., a Maryland Heights, Missouri-based IT products and services firm, $6 billion in revenue at the end of 2013. Yeah, yeah. Act One Group Incorporated Business, founded as a global firm that helps other businesses manage their workforce and employment needs. $2.2 billion in revenues. Bridgewater Interiors LLC, a Detroit-based firm uh, supplying the automotive industry. Yeah. So not not music. <clears throat> and you're but not... it took music for us to get there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, that's okay. That's that's a that's a good start uh, to this episode as we discuss. Uh, album one of The Big Payback. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for reading. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. This episode of the Read a Book podcast is brought to you in part by We Society, apparel, merchandise, and inspiration to change the world. Get 10% off any order at weapparel.co by using the code 4th District. That's F O R T H District. And connect with We Society at weapparel.co. To inspire bold action, united, together, resolved, we are the ones we are waiting for. We, society. Okay, now this is something that I've always thought was super fascinating about uh, hip-hop history, hip-hop culture. Uh, Kill Cass, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, basically, when you deal with the Bronx, um, a few things are happening that lead up to kind of the 70s um and i I, hopefully i don't i don't miss them but you have the cross bronx expressway uh, Mm -hmm. which is a highway that was built to bring uh, upper class people uh, into the city so they just tore through the middle of the poorest neighborhood uh in new york city cross bronx expressway uh you have white flight so after World War II, uh, all of these soldiers come back and they get GI bills to build their houses outside of the they city. They bounced out of. They leave the city. Yeah. Uh, and then when those two things happening, you start have having business owners who were in the Bronx. Uh, a large part were Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take their businesses and their wealth out of the Bronx because they sort of see uh, the signs of what uh, are coming. Not Sal. Yeah, for sure not Sal. Uh, <laughs> And so that's fascinating to me because it's almost like the Bronx was deserted uh, and the people who were forced to stay were the poorest people. Right. Uh, they didn't have options. They couldn't get out. Uh, and so this is what I think is super fascinating about hip-hop. One, that uh, 
after those things happen, sort of the 60s and the 70s, the Bronx become very violent uh, because you have displaced people, you know, people being pushed from one neighborhood to the next neighborhood and youth gangs develop mm-hmm. as a result of all this, trying to claim territory and abandoned buildings and trying to, you know, create little businesses for themselves, whether it was running numbers, running dope, intimidating, providing security for businesses, you right. know what I'm saying, trying to hustle up a, a living. Which, entrepreneurially, I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, But what's fascinating, again, to me about hip-hop is that the DJ sort of arises from the ashes of all of this as a cultural leader. They talk about Herc being this big, tall, Hercules-type guy. Yeah, dude, nobody wanted to mess with him. And he was throwing parties, and people were like, oh, we're not going to start it with Herc. You know what I'm saying? But the change, this is what I'm saying is fascinating. The change from, like, youth gangs that... Well, they were taking the youth gangs and, like, employing them as well. Yeah, totally. To be, like, to bodyguard yeah, for the, sure. the fronts. And so the influence of these older guys, the influence of these DJs who were able to take these young boys who were a part mm-hmm. of gangs, violence and crime, and move them, usher them, shepherd them into them sort the of money. hip-hop culture. For sure, employ them. And so, you know, when I was like early on learning about this, I'd be like, where did the where did the graffiti crew come from? Right. Where did the breakdance crew come from? And you see these like, you know, the, like the wild style kind of clothing, like the jean jackets and the jean, what's the, the what, vests. What do the, they call the, the, not rocker vests. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, th- that's tight to me. Yeah, like all the, that style is super dope. But to me, what I'm saying I think is crazy is that it went from a, a, a gang, a violent and crime-based subgroup to, like, breakdance battles. Yeah. Graffiti battles. Rap battles. So they harnessed all of that energy, which was expressing itself in crime and violence, and, violence. and moved to creativity. To who's doper. That is amazing so to me, dope. dude. So dope. And that, that's why I never understood, like, the bad rap that that hip-hop got it's like it took away the violence from i mean i'm sure that you know there there's still that and it's going to be associated with it but sure. in large part i mean like how can you how can you be mad at that it took it all away it's got to be ignorance i mean it's yeah i mean just because it's it, it was black youth for doing sure it. no doubt it's like yeah yeah, fear of a black planet, you know, so regardless of what these young uh, brown and black boys are doing when they show up, oh, crap, yeah, yeah. scared of them, you know what yeah. I'm saying, intimidated by them or concerned of what are they going to do, even though, again, it went from, you know, uh, gangs, crime and violence to gangs, but creativity and expression and, yeah. you know, sort of, that is just like, that is so dope to me, man. I wish that that could be harnessed now you know what i'm saying yeah. i wish there was more old heads who were concerned about young people and i think that it is yeah yeah i don't i don't think that you know i think that there there's genres of it but just like i mean more recently the the control verse by kendrick yeah he's going at his friends sure you know what i mean yeah and it it, it so it all just like you know what i mean yeah it, yeah but then again, in, in certain areas, it's it's way more serious than that. Sure. Um, and a lot of that, you know, is captured on uh, page 20 here in part A uh, of Number Runners before they talk about Sal, uh, which, again, is fascinating. That's where we uh, get into Bambada. Yeah. Uh, so, as more Bronx kids, this is 
kind of the first paragraph on page 20. As more Bronx kids became DJs and MCs and B-boys and B-girls, their creative pursuits began to soak up the poisonous pool of competitive energy from which the gangs drew. And that's just fascinating to think about being able to like be creative and be entrepreneurial and they say what that idle hands are the devil's playground right. if you ain't got nothing to be on if you ain't got nothing to do if you don't have anything to create and invest your energy and your time in and you even look at that like the and you might be able to speak to this more in your experience in hip hop but like idle time and drug usage yeah. or not having an outlet and abuse versus having a song to make or an opportunity Absolutely. to chase down or a tour a tour to book or you know what i'm saying yeah. like using my energy using my time in a way that's either constructive or destructive because i'm gonna use my time regardless but if i ain't got nothing to do i remember like a pivotal moment for me was like you know the uh, drugs were popular it was like it was very mainstream to talk about but then when i got into like the more hip-hop side of things i was like i'm not I'm not messing with drugs. I'm not huh. selling drugs like that. I'm investing my time into. I mean, we talked about this before. Where yeah. It was like it kept me off drugs. It right. kept me out of fights, and it yeah. kept me when before. That's how I wanted to express myself. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just like I didn't want any. Like no one could step to me. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This I was a little dude. You know what I mean? Mm. But then I invested all my time in talking slick. Yeah. And like yeah, yeah. battling. So yeah. it was like. Don't mess with Cass. Yeah. Like he will he will go for your head yeah. in battles. That he'll would, hurt your ego. He'll hurt, hurt your, your, yeah, your heart, your spirit. Worse. For sure, dude. Yeah, uh, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like, such a lie. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, man. Because this black eye will heal up or this, you know. I would much rather be punched in the face yeah. than, than having a yeah. couple things taken from my ego. Golly. For sure. And so, again, that's sort of how that paragraph wraps up on uh, page 20. Battles were fought less with guns and knives and more with styles. Like, that is so dope to me. Money wasn't the point. Recognition was the point. Yeah. Uh, so, again, you you know, within sort of just the creative culture itself, uh, primarily in the youth gangs and the DJs, and obviously, you know, they talked about uh herc's party at 1520 sedgwick avenue uh that was a back to school jam so they could buy clothes so obviously the business is a part of it but there was so much like flavor and style and creativity graffiti is kind of slept on with how how integral it was in the hip-hop community yeah because it's not really anymore sure uh, well, I mean, it is, but it isn't. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, it's like, very much like a third or fourth oh, element, man. if it's even considered at all. It's right. Re- a lot of times it's treated as old, outdated, like that's kind of corny. What does it have to do with anymore? Uh, because, you know, rapping, which was like a third or fourth element, has so become sort yeah, of the, the where primary Yeah, where DJ started thing. out as numero uno. Yeah, and then even like the graffiti, graffitiing was right there. Because, yeah. again, you got to deal with the environment. Like, that was a way to send my reputation across All the city. The you know what I'm saying? Or, like, stunt on my so, stunt on my enemies. You know what I'm saying? Think like, about how dope that is. Man. Just putting your name on a train car yeah. and watching that mug run. So hard. Nobody can... Th- that's how they... they, they, st- they, yeah. they took that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you deal with... You know, again, this is a different time when the internet doesn't exist. 
mm-hmm. and within this poor, uh, this group of poor people, uh, it's not like they can Uber across town. Right. It's not like they can hop in their ride and go over to you know yep. the other borough or whatever. Um, so that's just such like a cool. Fast. I mean, that's such a, like a dope diss. You it know, is. what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like to tag your name on a train that's gonna go through their borough. <laughs> like that so is so tight. hard, dude. Ugh. Man, that's cool. Uh, and again, there, page twenty uh, one, they talk about a guy named Sal uh, Abatello. Ab- Abatello. Um, Yay. Okay. Yeah, he's an Italian. Okay. And there, page twenty one. Uh, there's discussion of a guy named Sal, and I believe you say his name, Abitello. Uh, he's Italian. He and his whole family uh, stayed in the Bronx. They lived in the Bronx. Uh, and there's a fascinating story about how Sal and his family were involved in like sort of the mafia, yeah. uh, and they left the Bronx, and that's when they sort of got in a compromising situation. Uh, and there's they- this... They weren't really part of the mafia, were they? Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, people thought they were part of the mafia. He didn't say anything. Yeah, he just let them think it. Yeah, maybe his family or certain connections or maybe just being an Italian-American. That Sometimes people assumed that. talking the slickest is saying nothing at all. Let that be a lesson to you, youth. Tweet that. <laughs> tweet that. Tweet that. Take that. Take that. Hey. Tweet that. Tweet that. <laughs> and I just thought it was super crazy, you know, because of how sort of wild and uh, maybe violent or whatever the Bronx is, uh, they talk about Sal got shot, uh, and when he healed, he decided to stay where it was safe, the South Bronx, right? which is hilarious. It's like saying they decided to stay where he was safe in Compton or, you know, the Swats in Atlanta or whatever. Super, super crazy. South Bronx, South, South, or anywhere in Atlanta. (laughs) <laughs> so funny dude there are people who listen to this podcast that are in atlanta can we please tell that story okay so i'll set it up i'll set it up this is free this is what you get when you just you know talk crap with your homeboy uh loosely around the ideas of hip-hop so you know cast one has been rapping for many a year uh and he went on a mini tour a couple years ago and you had one show in atlanta yeah uh, what was that venue? That place was cool. U- Union Station. Union Station, maybe. That place so, was dope. It was dope. It was like a train station that used to be a train station. Okay. They transformed it to a venue. Yeah. That place dope. was cool. Yeah. So, you know, he had a couple shows. I was out with him for the weekend, just kind of hanging out, being his hype man, full circle. That's what we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I set up a uh, basic, you know, and... I'm sure Airbnb was popping, but I just set up a place with one of my like friends in Atlanta, Isaac Deeds. If you listen to this, what up, sir? Y'all, pro- some people listen to this probably know Isaac. Isaac said, "Yeah, come to the Thunderdome. Y'all can crash here. It's all good. You don't have to pay for a place to stay. You can sleep over here." And so after, the- and I told Jacob this. I was like, "Man, it's on a popping. It's all good. We ain't got to pay. We got a place to stay." And so after the show, you know, twelve, one o'clock in the morning, I was borrowing the vehicle that we were using oh, let's okay. set it up okay let's now i forget it. some of this i forget some of this uh and so we leave the venue we're going to isaac's house which i'm not even sure what part of the city it was in right but we hop on the highway we take a exit and you were already kind of like sus of it you're like man i don't really know this dude i don't know where the yeah, house yeah. is i don't you know just the unknown I'm you were like Ugh. so, so- for the record, I'm very cautious, especially when I'm like in a city that I don't really know. I am extremely cautious. Yeah. 
I don't mess with people I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm weird like that. Yeah. And I'm kind of weird in the other way. A lot of times I You're throw caution like, to the wind. Yeah, it's gone for you. I trust this dude. Let's go over here. It'll but be he all was good. saying, like, don't leave anything in that vehicle. Yeah, he did say some people broke in. And I think he was, like, across the street or a couple streets away from the projects or something like that. Right. So, you know, I'll give you that. <laughs> so we get off the exit. And I don't know if you remember this. But, like, we hit this exit. We turn left. And, like... I don't know if it was a crackhead, but like, golly, like, if it looks like, and if it smells like, and if it acts like, this person just like skittishly runs across the street. And again, it's like one o'clock in the morning, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And I was like, ooh, that could be, you know, an environmental indicator about where we are, or where we're finna be. So. It was that. There was a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like every five feet. And they set you up. I feel like they set you up for failure there because uh, there's a stop sign every seven feet on there where they're man. just like people hanging out on the corners. And they're, they're looking at us. Yeah. They're looking at us because we're like, you know, we don't look like much. Yeah, for sure. And we're in like a Some nice... pretty white boys big, in a nice car. Yeah, in a, in a nice car. So we pull off in like a, like a parking lot and right you're just like, bro. I was like, look, man. I can't leave this vehicle I'm borrowing yeah. across the street from the projects. And plus, you were also, you were a little bit shook. I was shook, yeah. Right. I mean, to be completely honest. Yeah. And so, people were, like, approaching the vehicle. Yeah, stuff. bro, I ain't mad at you. We went. And so, any more for the story about what it ended up taking us to get a get a place? Or we'll just wrap the bow on top and say we ended up getting a place and it was just fine. Well, we ended up going downtown. Yeah. And then I went in like a very nice hotel, and Man. they said that it was just like I've never been to a, a hotel that had no vacant, no huh. vacancy. Oh, there was like a there conference like a in conference town. In we town. went to like several hotels, probably two or three o'clock in the morning. The dude was super rude to me. I went yeah. in there. I was like, "Hey, can we get a room for the night?" And he's like, "Ha!" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." Word. I wanted to, I wanted to punch that dude in yeah, his face for sure. So walk out driving around more and i don't know why we didn't think to just drive 30 miles out of the city yeah. and get like right. something way cheaper right because that night i made so much money off, huh. of the, off of merch yeah yeah like so you were just balling a little bit i was balling a little bit yeah. and i was but it's still i was like well i gotta make this trip worth it balling on a budget straight up um anyway so we ended up going out the city. We'll leave. You know, if you see me or Jacob uh, out in real life sometime, ask us for the rest of the details on that story because there's some hilarious stuff some that theory. happened at a little stoplight intersection prior I, to finding that hotel. I was very... Sean Little was very good to take on you on the road with you for like two reasons. One, he's always super calm. Mm. There's no situation that like that stifles this man. He's just like, okay, will this happen? Let's react to how this happened we are in this season and we must react accordingly well i'm like punching the steering wheel and he's like okay i see that you are very upset let's react to this situation accordingly <laughs> and then number two why why sean is good to take on the road with you is because he is the only man that you will go on the road with and come back healthier. It's thriller. It's all the way vegan out here, bro. It might take us an hour out of the way, but we're going to get some nice green juice. Yeah. Okay, so we're coming up to the end of uh, Side A on the first chapter, uh, the first album of The Big Payback. 
Um, and again, I say this all the time, but there are a lot of details that we're going to leave out. Um, this book is so good. It, it's it's it breaks down things. I mean, you've heard it. Everybody heard, has heard how hip hop started, but this just gives like. It, details that you didn't know. It's like insider information. Yep, for sure. It's tight. And so for y'all who are uh, reading this with us, reading along, if there's something specific that you're interested in commenting on, sharing a thought on, asking a question about, or even saying, hey, I'd love to get y'all's feedback on this and just be a voice in our podcast, uh, please call and leave a voicemail at 470-722-0782. We would love, love, love to hear from you. Again, that phone number is 470-722-0782. We're going to go to brief uh, commercial break, yeah, and yeah. we'll be back with a voicemail of one of our listeners. Thanks for rocking with us. This episode of the Read a Book Podcast is brought to you in part by River City Mercantile and Coffee Co. located at 223 Main Street in downtown Evansville, Indiana. River City provides a place for over 50 makers to showcase their high-quality, handmade goods and is home to an exceptional coffee and espresso bar. Get 20% off any gift card purchase when you use the code READABOOK in-store or at rivercityevv.com. Shop local, drink coffee, River City. Hey guys, uh, this is Cole, and um, I'm not sure if you guys have already recorded for the album one episode yet, but uh, this is just so fascinating to me to read about um, really how entrepreneurial and underground the start of hip hop was. And I, um, I'm a good evangelical, so I got introduced to hip hop through Lecrae, and um, so all of these stories and these names and um, everything is totally new to me, and I knew about the Sugar Hill Gang, who they were, but I had no idea how they started. And so um, I just want to say I'm really excited about the rest of this book, um, even just reading about um, just dudes in park in parks figuring out what people liked and how to play music that people want to dance to. It's just been um, super interesting to me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited. Cole, thank you so much. I'm uh, excited too, Cole. And I'm excited about your comment as well because when I was reading through the book, just uh, w- naming through the groups and all, yeah. I, I started I started playing the music on Spotify mm. just to kind of put myself in that uh, in the element yeah. of, of what I was reading. So I think that I'm gonna, I want to start making like playlists um, that you can follow along with on on Spotify. If you just search Cast One on there, uh, I'm going to start making playlists for side A, side B of the big payback. That's dope. Using, um, you know, the artists that they talk about in that section. In each of the albums. In each of the albums. That's awesome. That's cool Either idea. that or, or songs. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the yeah. popular songs it talks yeah. about. <clears throat> That's dope. Uh, Cole, and I agree with you, man. Like, you know, this just comes at a good time in my life. Um, as I'm making career changes and, you know, literal moves from, you know, one city to the next. Uh, and even just that, you know, you saying that and that giving energy to 
Kazwan's uh, idea to build playlists. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just I'm inspired by the hustle and the entrepreneurship and seeing opportunities and taking risks and doing all that stuff. Like you know, that's inspiring to me. That's encouraging to me as I try to think about what I want to do with my life and how I want to harness my creativity and make business out of that. Um, so I hope that you're inspired in those ways as well. I uh, think it's dope that we're we're reading through this and it's bringing people to like a whole other world that they they may for not have sure man before it's yeah tight. and that's just literature man like read a book bro read a book okay so we're on side b uh now talking about downtown before we were talking about uptown now we're talking about downtown and that's basically you know a change a shift from creativity uh and the culture to the business uh business is downtown um, and there are a couple of people uh, that stick out to me that'll kind of, uh, I'll put my comments under the heading of, of these three ideas, maybe. Um, one, we have to talk about, uh, and their name slips my mind. Man, shit. You talking about Rifkind? <laughs> no. Joe and Sylvia Robinson, right? Oh, the Robinson. Is her name Sylvia? Um... Let me double check that. The Robinsons, man, they are. Yeah, okay. Joe Robinson and. So the first uh, people that come to mind are Joe and Sylvia Robinson. They're kind of, you know, one of the main characters of this uh, side of this album. Uh, and then also, I want to talk about the Sugar Hill Gang because I think there's a bunch bunch to discuss about those guys. Um, <laughs> there's so much to discuss about the Sugar Hill. Yeah, Gang. Yeah, stuff that I did not know before yeah. reading this. Yeah, book. yeah. So we'll wait into that. Uh, and then also, I want to talk about these two characters. Um, who are working at Billboard, uh, Rocky Ford and there's another fella, we'll get there, uh, Rocky Ford and J.B. Moore third, and, and sort of their time at Billboard and uh, what they saw from sort of an editorial uh, journalist view from the outset of this culture that was created. Um, so this is a big, you know, sort of wide sweep of about 25 pages, uh, but Joe and Sylvia Robinson are fascinating people to me, man. They are something else. What are immediate thoughts that come come to your mind before I hog hog the comments? Swindlers? Yeah? Can we say, can we say swindlers? Because just of the role in the music and what they what they <clears throat> took, who they put out. Yeah. And, yeah. Do we want to jump? Yeah, in? let me hold off. So, okay. you know, basically they had so uh, Joe and Sylvia got together. They were married at some point. Uh, Sylvia had been a musician. Uh, and I, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, Joe was kind of behind the scene. He was the business side. So they were kind of a husband-wife duo in the business. Had some success. They mm -hmm. were doing it. Um, they were an independently owned black business. Uh, black owner, executive, black musician and talent. Um but they were, they didn't see the value of it at first. Well, that's hip-hop. I'm talking about even before right, hip-hop. Right, right, right. Um, so they had some success, and I think it was in the disco era. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, as disco fades out, and they were kind of running their business in a non-conventional way, which I really dig that, man. Like, yeah. I was, this is funny. Uh, this morning, Jacob and I were texting, and he said, uh, this will make sense, stick with me. He said, um... I'm fixing my hair, and I'll be there to pick you up in 15 minutes. 
And I wrote back, that's what she said. Uh, and Jacob was like, bro, that's not how the joke works. Uh, which, I mean, duh, I know that's not how it works. But I just dig doing stuff in a way that, like, is different than how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> yeah, you got mad, didn't you? I didn't get mad. You get mad? No. I know that's not how the joke goes. I know. You're like, why doesn't Jake get that? No. I'm... I know that you know that that's... <laughs> For sure. For sure. Anyway, I'm just saying. And sometimes that really gets me in trouble. I'm just talking slick. I'm you just know? rapping here. You're not keeping up with it. I'm hurting your ego, and I'm about to punch you in the face. Um, but that's all I'm saying is I empathize with Joe because he made comments about like not paying some uh, record certifying group or company to validate that he went platinum or whatever. He's like, I'm not giving them 3% of my sales uh, because he does things his own way. And obviously yeah. there's some like hustle and some bad business in there. But I love that about him. I love that like he's his own man. He does things on his own terms. And obviously, uh, there are some failures and some complications associated with that, right? Like the truck that I bought when we came back from Hawaii. It was a 30-year-old truck. I've had so many problems with it. I'm not going to get into all of that. I had to change the fuel pump, the fuel filter. I had to change the alternator. I had to put in... Uh, new brakes on it. Anyway, I had to flush the radiator, flush the coolant system, flush the heater core. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. But I love this old truck. But sometimes when you try to do things uh, in your own way, there's complications associated with that. Where I should have just, you know, in the middle of it all, I was like, man, I should have just leased a car. So I wonder when Joe is like low and out on the, you know, edges and frustrated, I wonder if he was just ever like, why don't I just do things the mainstream way? Why didn't I just give these people their 3% think, and they could have validated my records and I would get regular royalties? Right. You know what I'm saying? I think that anybody that does anything their way will look in the mirror at one point in their Dude. life and be like, what am I doing? For sure. Why am I doing it wrong? Yes. When it's hard, man, it's, it's easy to see the different light. Yeah. But like you... It, like, with that car, there's merit inside yeah. of that. You didn't know how to change brakes Bro, before. For now sure. you know how to change brakes. Yeah. Now you know how to change a fuel pump. I know. So you got something out for of sure, giving man. something. Golly. So I feel a guy like Joe, even though <clears throat> there is probably a bunch of, like, suspect stuff about how he ran his business and how he treated his artist and how he treated his wife and mm -hmm. um but there's something about him that i that i empathize with were they are they the ones that started sugar hill did they they went they broke them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so they just like showed up at a pizza place yeah and so was like, hey my but but like is it not crazy the way that it worked out back then the way groups were formed for sure. They just like, like, hey, my boy raps. Yes. And they played a tape and they're like, okay, well, they just show up to the pizza place and grab this dude out. Yes. And then put him with, you know, other people that ain't even part of Sugar Hill. Yeah. Where where Sugar Hill was. Because Joe and Sylvia uh, were in a bad way. Mm -hmm. They were in debt and they owed people money and their record business that was popping during disco wasn't popping anymore. And right. they, they were like, we got it. We got to figure something out. Joe was like overseas trying to find money, for, like find an investor for the record company. So like, you know, they were up, they were between a rock and a hard place and rap music, rap recordings it were beginning to surface. 
their daughter was it their I think that their, sounds their familiar rapped. or maybe a little niece or something like that yeah. she was rapping they would do some things in the studio but what happened was Curtis Blow mm-hmm. um, it was the Christmas record and then on the back side of that was the breaks right, right. The Christmas rapping was the A side the B side was the breaks um, the breaks and it sold something like 300,000 copies before Christmas mm-hmm. and then 300,000 copies sort of immediately after that and because of the breaks yeah because of the breaks because um, people were showing up to the record store buying two copies at a time of that record I well maybe it wasn't that record but I know that they were of the actual yeah, breaks yeah. they were actually the buying breakbeat records yeah right. to run two at a time and they're DJ like sets. oh it's time to start bootlegging this yeah selling them and the, what was his name that that had the record store that was like I want to do this because he did, he wasn't messing with people selling those records for like forty dollars yeah I don't know like, I know what you're talking about though. And they would buy two of those yeah. records, yeah. And he just put them back to back, yeah. So, so you know, that's sort of the the instrumental part, right? They're finding breaks and break beats, and this guy just put out a record that was only break beats. Which, again, the ingenuity and the entrepreneurship, seeing the opportunity, investing right, the money, right. and providing people not caring about the culture as for much sure, yeah, as, as caring about the money, yeah. yeah. Um, and so out of that comes this first, you know, rap record, which is the breaks and Christmas rapping was the A side and that was even just gimmicky. You know yeah, what I'm saying? They were yeah. like, Oh, people always uh buy Christmas music. So right. they just saw the gimmick in it, the opportunity in it. They made a song, recorded it, put it out, and the B side was the break. So a hundred thousand copies before Christmas, three hundred thousand copies shortly after. And Joe and Sylvia Robinson were just like aware of that. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, Golly, and I think there might have been something about Sylvia had a dream or something about... Where she she wanted it more than Joe did. Yeah, for sure. So she went out to find the rap group. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she goes and she finds kind of the first member uh, of who will become the Sugar Hill Gang. And he says, oh, my homeboy. And they're in like the limousine in the parking lot. And another dude comes up. And so they all go to the studio. Uh, over to Joe and Sylvia's studio, and sure enough, they got you know musicians there, and they lay the track down, and they record a 15-minute rap 15 song. Minutes, and she's like, "This is how I want it." Yeah, Joe was not on. Yeah, he's like, "It can't be 15 minutes for sure." So they shop that record um, to you know radio stations. They have local connects, which at this time again, it's like it sounds like a lot of the DJs are like, "This is a fad. This is gonna yeah. pass, just like disco, disco. passed." So I'm not gonna put my rep out. I'm not gonna put my channel out. But they were getting so much demand uh, from Christmas rapping, yeah. and they were getting so much demand from these are the breaks. They were like, "Okay, not for the culture, but I'll do it for the business. So I'll play the record." Um, so Joe and Sylvia worked their uh, connections. And they end up getting, uh, these are the breaks, Sugar Hill Gang, I'm sorry, um, Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang on radio, and like all of a sudden, bam, boom. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, no, you know, no diss to these dudes, but it sounds like these three dudes were clowns. Yeah. Like, I mean, they were using other people's raps mm -hmm. and stuff that they gave them. Casanova. (laughs) Casanova. Yeah. Where he's just like, hey, I'm going to rap on this thing. Can I use one of your raps? And yeah. he just throws him. Throws him a whole book of rhymes. Throws him a book of his rhymes. Can you imagine that happening now? I remember. I don't know if you remember this, but like there was a artist. Maybe it was Eminem. He like lost 
a book bag in an airport or something like that. And there was like a book of rhymes in it. It's probably 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And he put out like this big purse for it. Like if you find this, I'll give you $10,000. I'll give you $100,000, something like that. So the value of the book, right? Oh, it's just some, yeah. Versus 20 like years ago, 25 years ago. Thrown a book. Yeah, and he probably thought that that dude was like a clown anyway. He was like, I can give this dude all my bars. He's not going to be, you yeah. know, delivering on any of this anyway. And people are like going up to him like, hey, congratulations. Heard yes. You on that. He's like, what? Because he was spelling his name. That's, that's like Sean Little being like, name. hey, Cast One, can I see your book of rhymes real quick and take it to the studio and be like, my name is C-A-S-O-N-E. No one wants to mess with me. <laughs> like people coming up to you on the street be like, bro, you your record popped. Your bars. No one wants to mess with me. That's so hard. And you just being like, that is not me. Dog, it, but then it wasn't even it wasn't even a thing. I wonder if that's what sparked like the biter, like that huh. biters being, uh, you know, worse than pond scum. Man, in the in this day and age, I am not a biter. I'm a writer for myself and others. If I say a big verse, I'm, I'm just bigging up my brother. Bigging up my brother. Bigging up my burrow. I'm big enough to do it. I'm that thorough. Plus, I have the something to do it. So those rings and things you sing about, bring them out. Anyway. Bring them out. Bring them out. Jay-Z, man. One of the best. I don't know if what y'all think, but that brother is one of the best. Jay-Z is 110% one of the best. Um, so a couple more comments on you know Joe and Sylvia. Uh, they're at page 36. By 1968, Joe and Sylvia were ready uh, to get back into the business. Uh, music business this time as owners and they moved forward um, by finding and, and it's not like the Sugar Hill Gang was a group they just again went out found some dudes who could rap brought them to the studio uh, made a 15 minute song shopped it to radio and it popped and like I don't know how long this lasted uh, but it was the you know biggest selling single possibly of all time because again joe robinson wasn't paying his membership dues for whatever organization certified the sales of record so who knows how many copies of this record were sold but they talked about being the biggest selling single of all time rapper's delight and i know like the first eight bars to that song that's it 15 minutes long though can you imagine a 15 minute long song being on the radio now never never songs like three minutes yeah, three minutes. I mean, you got to have a standard now. It's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, hook. So crazy. So again, you know, Bridge. Joe and Sylvia Robinson, um, and then kind of this cornball collection uh, of guys who obviously, you know, were down with the culture in some sense. Like, yeah. you know, Casanova was his homeboy. And from what it sounds like, Cass was like a legitimate rapper he was actually yeah. rocking parties and writing rhymes and djing too oh, okay um so you know joe and Gen- sylvia robinson grandmaster cast was djing right oh that's who that was that was yeah. casanova yeah um so anyway you know sort of the the intersection uh between joe and sylvia trying to get back into business as business owners sort of sylvia having the wherewithal to see the opportunity uh in youth culture of people rapping and saying let's try something here uh and then the not only the vision for it but actually being willing to hit the streets and Mm. like do the hard work of finding people i mean that takes grit man yeah but it kind of got around 
that Joe and Sylvia were kind of like busters about their business. Yeah. So when they went to get the next rapper, Casper, um, he was like, hey, my family says. Huh, not to mess, mess with y'all. But then they just like gave him a cash advance or something like that, and he was like, was like I'm down a clown. $5,000. Let's go. Let's record this. <laughs> Giving somebody poor $5,000. Dude, in 1974? <laughs> what year was it? I mean, that's a lot of money to me right now. Oh, for sure. It's crazy. So Joe and Sylvia, again, fascinating people, um, fascinating you know, business owners, fascinating as a couple, fascinating entrepreneurially, uh, fascina- fascinating as black business owners and wanting to be 100% black owned, uh, have the ability to make their own decisions, to record people the way they wanted to, to call record manufacturers and just print the records mm-hmm. to demand, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so much hustle, ambition, startup, entrepreneurship in that that I just think that that is... Amazing. That's phenomenal. Um, Skibbity bebop, a we rock a Scooby Doo. Guess what, America? We love you. Can I can I borrow some of those rhymes, bro? Uh, and another comment that I want to make, you know, and, and Jacob, you can you can kind of add on some thoughts that that you have. Um, but there's this section that I highlighted on page uh, 47, um, and again, just prior to that, on page 45. Uh, at the at the bold section, if you worked at Billboard magazine, uh, they introduced these two characters: Robbie Robert Rocky Ford Jr. and J. B. Moore the uh, Third. So Rocky was black, and J. B. Moore the Third was white. Believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> I bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, and it talks about how, and just like the socioeconomic racial juxtaposition here is, uh, I think noteworthy. You know, Rocky Ford. Uh, worked his way up to be at this position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the author, Dan Charnas, actually talks about J.B. Moore working his way down uh, the socioeconomic ladder to be at Billboard. Uh, so just you know, juxtaposing those two guys. Uh, and, and they work in cahoots. They begin to sort of cover uh, hip-hop culture, street culture, rap culture. Uh, and there at 47, uh, this, is, this is the thing that I want to highlight. Uh, first paragraph at billboard ford had interviewed some of the greatest musicians of his time seen groundbreaking bands like steely dan perform in their infancy but when he witnessed dj hollywood ford decided that he had never seen any human being with more natural talent isn't that tight is that amazing it is i mean it was just it was the dedication to what they were doing. Like DJ Hollywood, his his sole purpose of DJing was to make the party hype. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, like when he went into these places, he had no other intention sure. than just for people to have a great time. Yeah, when they went to a DJ Hollywood show, right? So that the next time they came back, it would be bigger, yep. it would be better. Yep, man. So all for the rep. All for the culture, all for the energy, just to be a pioneer, to lead, to and be DJ, innovative. He, he was the first dude that was like talking over the breaks mm. and stuff like that mm. when they were performing. Huh. Well, I mean, because the DJ was like number one for back sure. Then, yeah, when hip hop was coming up, and he was the first one. He was the chief man. He, he was, was talking. He was he was party rocking. He yeah. was getting he was getting everybody hype. Yeah, getting everybody to clap along or, or yep. say something. Yep. Uh, during that time. Which is even fascinating to me when you think about how, like, cool hip-hop is Mm. nowadays. You know what I'm saying? And to think that it started from a place just of partying. 
and having fun because yeah. uh, the youth culture lived in such a volatile environment, such a scary environment, so much violence, so much crime, that there wasn't an outlet to go have fun. And so the DJs created that environment just to like relax take off your cool yeah. you know what i'm saying and party and have a good time and like how relieving that must have been when war was going on all around you yeah, you know what i'm saying absolutely and like we don't need to talk we don't need rapping we don't need a bunch of hype on the microphone like we just want to create an environment for our people uh to have peace and have yeah. rest and have fun um and there's something beautiful about that especially when you think about and it's partly people, and it's partly business, and it's part, partly corporate, and it's partly pride. But, like, rap is so cool now, man. And that's yeah. something that, Everybody like... Everybody wants to be in their, their own headspace. Yeah. Even with me. Like, my music isn't for parties. Yeah. It's for, like, people to identify with, with huh. their struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, th- this stuff ain't for... To, to make people feel happy. Yeah. Just make them feel not alone. Yeah. So that I I don't know. That's that's very tight to me. Yeah. How for it sure. all came about. And you know, going on at that same section in page forty-seven, these rapping DJs were treated like rock stars in New York. They opened for R and B acts, yet the kids actually came to see the DJs perform, not the musicians. The DJs made thousands of dollars yeah. in one night. Yeah. Mid to late 70s. We're back there right now. Can you imagine how much money that is? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and they carried themselves like royalty. Eddie Chiba was another favorite of Ford's, but when Ford approached the DJ for a billboard interview, a billboard interview, Chiba could barely be bothered. So just thinking just about like, like... It didn't matter to him. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's pure and it's real in here and I don't need any of your validation. I don't need your shine. I don't need your platform. Like, all these kids love me, bro. Oh, I just made $2,000. Like, now, what do you think Billboard can do for me? What do you think a, a musician would do nowadays to get like a big interview? There's whole, like, there's whole businesses established to pop artists. They would... There's man, whole businesses established to like... It's almost more for the Billboard interview now than it is anything else. Oh, without a doubt. Dude, my guy Stowe, Big Stowe, I don't know if you listen to this, but my guy Stowe is all, you know, he does some like PR and marketing. Right. Um, and it's just fascinating to follow along with him because he's always like dissing rappers because rappers would just be like, put me on, bro. How can you get me like the complex article? Like, and they don't, they haven't put in any work. Yeah. And it's the complete opposite back then that the work got them the platform the yeah, work man. got them the notoriety and the stage and the power and the money the money people came think, a long yeah, way after people think that the, and it's always been a thing that people just think that talent gets you things huh. when it doesn't talent is like talent is the fifth link in the chain man hard work is everything but it uh, there, there is some of it to, to who you know it's just that people think that, you know, the the middleman is who you got to know. And yeah. It's like, that ain't it. Yeah. That ain't it. I mean, especially now. I don't know about especially now, but certainly the, the place and the value of hard work seems uh, to be like at an all-time low. Yeah. And this is just, you know, this is just culture in general. This isn't only hip-hop culture, but it's like if you can pop off of a SoundCloud song... Yeah. And there's like a whole subset of SoundCloud rappers. 
people that tour and get paid a lot of money and have a lot of bus. And I'm not knocking their hustle, you know what I'm saying? But it's just such a different world. Like I remember when uh, Drake, and I really don't track with Drake, but I was listening to his So Far Gone. Was that a mixtape? So Far Gone, yeah. It was like the – there was – either one or two before that but so okay. far gone was like the one that he put out it was in record stores and okay shit. and i just remember that being a big deal like in the and that that might be the wrong project uh, but i think it's the right one that he was touring independently off of a mixtape yeah, that like got rich off a mixtape nah it was the it was the one before that mm. um that that like broke him that made like little wayne go okay. after him i can't okay. remember what it is it's yeah. like him on a it was some trees behind him or okay. something. Yeah, but I remember being in college and like my homies who you know kept up with Drake were like, "Yo, this dude is next." Yeah, uh, like he's touring off of a mixtape. And to think in ten years, and you know, ten years in an, is an eternity uh, in the internet age that we live in. But to think that you don't even have to craft a mixtape anymore, like you can have but it was three like songs on SoundCloud with with uh, Kendrick Lamar too. What do you mean? Section 80. Yeah. That's what made everybody love. Because you, you were like, hey, what do you think of this dude? Yeah. And you played like Section 80. Yeah. And I remember being like, this is cool. I want to check out yeah. the next thing. And when Good Kid, Mad yeah, City, man. you messaged me and you're like, hey, that that Kendrick drop, go yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what you think. It was sure. like Kendrick and J. Cole yeah. at the same time. Yep. Born Center came out the same time as Good Kid, Mad I City. I think it came out. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I think Good Kid, Mad City came out earlier than you told me. Two co- two two artists that I needed to listen okay. to was Kendrick and J Cole. Sure. And I was like, J Cole. Yeah. Why Why should I listen to J Cole? Right. Born uh, Center was super dope. Born Center was very dope. Probably my favorite album. Of his. I haven't really listened. With, I listened to 2014. Don't love it. Kind of like boring to me. They say but he's like a new Nas. That That's what they say. Yeah. yeah. But Born Center was dope. For sure. I think that that Let Nas Down song is super, super hard. dope. Um, but, but that Good Kid, Mad City. That Good Kid, Mad City was it for me. Yeah. Like I, th- I was like, finally, finally that we... Because I'm, I'm a Drake fanboy. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like Drake. And I know that, that like all of my peers diss me because mm. of that. But I really like Drake. But I don't think that Drake did what Kendrick did culturally yeah for hip-hop yeah but they both kind of had the same formula where a mixtape broke them sure made everybody listen to them so yeah but that's so far gone that was the it that may have been a mixtape okay but i know for a fact that that was like a cd that was in record stores where the one i can't remember what that album was called yeah the mix the mixtape before that was called but that wasn't in record stores right um, you know, do you, so do people put mixtapes in record stores? I don't know. Do people put music in record stores? Nah, yeah, I mean, in you're talking about back then. What What do you mean? Back uh, in back in back when Drake put that out. Are you saying do people put mixtapes? Yeah, in I don't know if they did. I I think that you, I think it was an internet thing. I yeah, think it was, it was a mixtape on yeah. the internet. And this is okay. We're on a total rabbit trail now, but. <laughs> That's how I found out about Wale. I found out about Wale uh, on his MySpace, and mm-hmm. he had like a I don't I forget what that kind of music is called, but it's kind of like bongo. It's very DC. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I've never listened to Wale. Okay, early on, it's kind of like you know. I thought his name was Whale. Yep, not Whale. Not Whale. Wale. 
he put out a mixtape. I forget what it's called, but this is like before Wale was buzzing and with Rick Ross and all them. And then I never listened to him again, but I do remember like discovering mixtapes or full projects on the internet and like rappers buzzing because of that. And that was kind of, you know, early on in what has become uh, just yeah. a staple in the music where, industry. Where now, like, Joyner Lucas has, yeah. has a huge, like, everything he puts out on YouTube is like a million plays, but I, you yeah. don't see anything else, like, in record stores or yeah. anything. So I don't know if he's just, like, an And from what I understand, he or, tours, like, he does yeah, stuff. I mean, and I think that Joyner Lucas is, is crazy talented. Hmm. I think the memes about him are hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that the the latest song he did the ra- racist yeah thirty yeah. seconds on your peanut peanut gallery comments on it what's your thought on that song it's cool yeah <laughs> it's like it's, no it, real it, thoughts it's not one of those songs that I'm like oh my yeah. god yeah people are buzzing I, off that man yeah I think his other songs are doper I think that happy birthday song he did. Mm. It's the first song oh, you in a very me long time that I'm like, oh, that made me feel messed yeah. up inside. With the with the child, the yeah, kid. with yeah. the child, that made that. me feel messed up inside. Um, well, before I move to my final comments uh, on side B here, uh, any other any other thoughts? Anything big stick out uh, from this section? Um, the the biggest thing for me was just the rap book. I thought that was very yeah. It's it's funny and messed up. Yeah, for sure. But just what it meant then to what it means now. Yeah, and I I think you know we'll see more of this develop in the chapters and the albums to come. Uh, but just beginning to see the multi, you know, sort of the industry develop. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you have the shows. Uh, the shows is kind of where it started, whether it was in the park or gymnasiums, high schools, fifteen twenty Sedgwick Avenue. Um, man, I've been in New York City twice, and I never got over there. I want to get over there before they destroy that building, so I can take a picture. You know, sort of that iconic New York City Sedgwick Avenue. I went there last year, and it's so much different from the. I went there like five years, yeah, uh, seven years before sure. that, and it's so much different. No doubt, no doubt. Which is crazy. I've never seen a place change so much yeah. in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously you see the shows, which that's one way to make money to. Um, monetize off of hip-hop culture uh, and then after that follow the recordings uh, so they're pressing records and that's one way to monetize and then they like sent curtis blow out on tour uh to monetize on that christmas and rap that goes together so well i don't know what who else can you draw a parallel with that run dmc and who else mm-hmm. outcast christmas and rap man they're the first song that they ever did it's beginning to look a lot like when Andre oh, came out. Yeah. Like that was a Christmas song. It was huh. on that little Face Christmas album. Really? It was, and huh. that—that's what broke Outcast when people heard that song. That what was it? Players. Ball? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. That—that's the song that broke them. That's yeah. a Christmas song. That's it crazy. was on the little Face Christmas album. Maybe people just—I don't know—they got ears for it. You know what I'm saying? It's so wild. they'll listen to it. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a Christmas song. Sure. But they, it was. Yeah. That was on the, the yeah. LaFace Christmas album. So shows to records to touring, and now we begin to see some journalism covering hip-hop. So you see sort of the, the industry, the multifaceted ways to monetize uh, this culture that just bubbled up 
uh, from poverty uh, with an African-American and Latin American context. Uh, and it will be amazing to track along with like, uh, you know, and we didn't really talk about this, but Russell Simmons yeah, out we... pressing flyers and he had his little brother pre- pressing flyers and all that Rush, uh, you know, Incorporated was doing was just party promoting. What? When I went to Shreese last year, mm-hmm. there's a... There's and what a, is Shreese? Shreese is, is like a familiar. hip-hop fest for, for Indiana. Okay. So there's a there's a DJ. His name is uh, DJ Indiana Jones. Hmm. No. Was it Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones, he used to... His, like... He was back there in day in the day where like f- he was putting up flyers for like NWA albums, wow. and they gave him like specific uh, instructions. Like you go to the hood huh. and you put these up. So wow. he's doing like runner work for yeah. these labels yeah. that were like masterminding, yeah. like where to market, yeah. rap. It's fascinating. It is, and so it'll be awesome. You know, I'm just excited to 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 read with y'all. Uh, how a culture that is magic and wonderful and creative and amazing uh, built the opportunity, built the market uh, for entrepreneurs to see ways uh, to, to make money, to monetize. And again, this is like we talked about in the first episode when we introduced the book, but some people did it for the culture. Uh, some people did it for pride. Some people did it for the rep. Some people did it just for money. But nonetheless, you know, almost 30 years uh, looking back in history, uh, it's just amazing to see how uh, hip hop culture and the business of hip hop uh, developed. off one and each, each thing. For sure. It's part of no it. No doubt. And people each just seeing opportunities and saying, mm-hmm. they're doing that. Let me do this. I can do this. Uh, taking risks. Some people losing a lot. Some people gaining a lot. You the know culture what I'm of anything is, has a has an underbelly of business. For sure, no doubt. Uh, so page 59 as we come to the conclusion uh, of album A, or album one. Uh, the first records were released into an environment that was arguably the most hostile to black music in American history. Whipped into a fury by the death to disco movement, many Americans, mostly young white males, who became alienated from black music when their favorite rock station stopped playing black artists in the mid-70s, declared rap to be disco's inspired offspring in need of ridicule and, if possible, a lynching. Insipid. Fascinating language. Fascinating language. Uh, Disco's white opponents took great advantage of the fact that rap rhymed with crap. Anyway, a couple things that I got underlined here. Uh, The enmity toward the glitzy disco scene was the reason why they had become b-boys and b-girls in the first place. So I think that's fascinating, the the juxtaposition between hip-hop and disco. And disco. Hip hop so, and rap. Hip hop and the mainstream. Like there's always sort of this purity movement within hip hop. But disco to separate was kind of it was kind of hated. I mean they sure. they had like there there was that one uh <laughs> radio the the DJ that he, he it was at that baseball game where he was like bring we hate disco. Yeah. Bring your disco records. We're setting them on yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. We're going to explode them. Right. Can you imagine anybody doing that about hip hop? Well, they did that. Like, uh, remember back in this wasn't discussed, but uh, in L.A., like the cops, like the LAPD oh, well, did a different. thing on N.W.A. Nobody listens to cops except for yeah. Bumpers. You're just saying the culture, actually, the culture. people yeah, saying yeah. yeah. No, I can't. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. 
So the juxtaposition between hip-hop and the glitzy uh, disco scene, uh, Africa Mbata goes on to say that what we're doing in the streets of New York is something new. Um, and just even being visionary enough to see that like this is something new. We're building this. This is becoming something. Yeah. Uh, and also knowing, and they talk about this here at the top of page 60, hip-hop was purist terminology. It was partly a backlash against the commercial sensibilities of the Sugar Hill Gang and also against the bourgeois mercenary attitudes of Sugar Hill Records proprietors whom Africa Bombata dubbed Sylvia and Joe Rob A. Can't say that word. It may even have reflected a bit of rivalry between the decidedly downtrodden Bronx and the more flashy, ambitious Harlem. The term hip-hop was also an endeavor uh, to claim a real musical and cultural distinction between disco and the park jams, between processed music and raw funk, between grown folks and kids, between conformists and rebels, between people who saw themselves as the lubricant for partygoers and others who saw themselves as serious artists. Mm. Hip-hop, man. I love it. How can you not fall in love How with it? How can you not? I, when when I think about this and when I talk about it, I'm just like it makes me feel so good inside. There, I mean, I, there were several times reading this where I messaged you like, "Don't you just love? Don't oh. you just love hip hop?" And you know, which sounds corny to say, sure. But it, dude, I love, I love, love this it, shit. Man. And you know, I, I know that. <clears throat> Because 4th District is host to the Read a Book podcast, that we have a lot of people that uh, identify themselves as evangelical Christians. Um, And I will say this to y'all, like, what I have found uh, in hip-hop, I have not found anywhere else. I pastored in a church, I'm a Christian, I consider myself a part of the universal church, but the acceptance, the love, the place... Um, the welcome that I've received within hip hop culture uh, is unlike any other organization, you uh, group of people shit for that. than I've ever received anywhere else. I've toured around the country. I've toured around the world. I've literally, and I'm not knocking sort of yeah. Christianity as a whole, uh, but I just think that like the arms wide open of hip hop. are wider and maybe freer, maybe more accepting for the good and for the bad than I have received from Christians, Christianity, the church in general. Um, And I also think that like that, that has been something that's just been in my mind and on my mind for a long time. And even we're not going to get any of that anyway. So for those of y'all who identify with Christianity or evangelicalism, would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback on that. Um, but I just completely agree with what you're saying, uh, with what Dan Charnas seems to be saying, that hip-hop is uh, magic and it's beauty, that it mm. comes out of a place and a time um, of oppression and struggle uh, and just being able to make not only something out of nothing, uh, but a billion-dollar uh, global business and culture out of some little shitball corner of oppressed people in New York City, namely the Bronx, yeah. is absolutely indescribable. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. Uh, and so that is uh, the big payback 
Shout album out to one. Dan Charnis, man. He loves hip hop probably more than us. For combined. sure. Brilliant work. Uh, album one, Numbers Runner. Uh, that's the conclusion of this section. Next Monday, we'll be releasing our we episode uh, where we discuss album two, The Genius of Rap. Uh, we'll be plugging and pushing hard on social media this week. Uh, so, Jake, where can they find you? They can find me online, Twitter, C A S. I don't underscore O-N-E. Search cast one. Search cast one. And you can search me across the internet at I am Sean Little. Thank you all so much uh, for listening to the Read a Book podcast. Looking forward to building with you all. Peace. Check check out the Spotify. I'm going to update that right after. I want to start making that playlist today. Yeah. Maybe we can release it when we release this episode. All right. Peace to you all. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.